back for another great episode of Black Equity Podcast. And on today's episode, we're going to dive into looking at, as a business owner, looking at the law side of sports, tech, media, and maybe looking at some of the hidden things um, that we're not paying attention to that we should be um, you know, more focused on. In order to do that, in order to have such a, a big conversation, I feel like we need to bring in someone who has the expertise and is a subject matter expert in this particular area. Uh, so Elijah, welcome to Black Equity Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good, DJ. I'm good. Thank you for having me here. You're very welcome. For those who don't know who you are, go ahead and introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about your background. Okay. My name is Elijah Adafope. I am an attorney. I practice in the areas of uh, technology law, uh, fintech law, uh, media and entertainment law, um, sports, uh, and small business in general. Uh, I, I'm a partner at a, an Atlanta-based law firm, although we do have a branch in Nigeria as well. Um, the law firm is called Ayeni Law for short. That's A-Y-E-N-I, Ayeni Law for short. Uh, the full name is Ayeni Adafope and Ajayobe Attorneys at Law. Uh, it's a law firm started by myself, my mother, and my grandmother. Um, in addition to that, I'm also an, an in-house corporate attorney um, at an Atlanta-based uh, fintech company. Wow, that's awesome. What yeah. was the process like to have your own law firm? I mean, how much time and dedication had to go into that? You know, I really credit most of it to my mother uh, and my grandmother, uh, who obviously were both attorneys. Um, they definitely set the foundation uh, for me, made things a lot easier for me, kind of gave me, you know, the map, the blueprint um, coming in, um, you know, and I've just kind of injected my, you know, myself and, you know, my, my energy and, and my personality to it. Um, but they really set the foundation. Um, I, I never really... You know, it was always in the back of my mind, I would say. I never really thought too heavily about being an attorney, though, you know, but things just kind of lined up and uh, one thing led to another, man. And it's, it's been a good ride. It's, it's been, you know, like any business, it's, you know, you, you struggle at the very beginning. But, um, you know, we really hit our stride, man. And it's a, it's a good thing. I'm really blessed and fortunate to to be able to do business with family, you know. Yeah, that's I, I think that's awesome. When, when I think about it, it sounds like you come from a lineage of attorneys. Am I hearing that right? I do, I do. Um, my mother's an attorney. Uh, my grandmother, she was actually um, the second. So there's there's what we call in Nigeria a senior advocate. Um, and what that means is it's an it's, it's kind of like a prestigious title, an attorney who's practiced for over 10 years. Um, there are a few other qualifications. Uh, my grandmother was actually the second female um, senior advocate in Nigeria. You know, so it's definitely something that's, you know, in my in my heritage um, It's definitely something that, you know, I've come to actually uh, take a lot of uh, a lot of uh, pride and uh, responsibility. In. And how did you end up choosing the areas in which you practice or did it choose you? It chose me, man. You know, that's that's a good question, because everybody always asks me the, the first thing, you know, how did you be, how did you decide to become an attorney? How did you yeah. end, up, end up where you are? And I, say, I always tell them, man, like I stumbled into it. It, it doesn't it doesn't make for, you know, a good uh, for a good, exciting, you know, uh, reverential story. But I just stumbled into it, man. It, it chose me, honestly, you know. I was trying to start a business. I was trying to start a marketing business, right? And I guess we'll get into some of this later, but I got to a point where I was trying to start a business. I wanted to do marketing. I always wanted to do marketing, even before I even went to college, you know, but, you know, I'm Nigerian. So people who are either African or know people who are African, they know, like, if you're Nigerian, man, you're either a doctor, you're a lawyer, or you're an engineer. There's no other career choices. There's no other career fields, right? So I didn't do marketing going into school. But I ended up in a place in my life where I wanted to do marketing. I wanted to start a marketing company. Um, but I just cannot get it off the ground. I spent so much money on resources, training, books, education, really trying to teach myself <laughs> how to you know, start this company, how to actually offer these services. But it went absolutely nowhere, right? Um, and so, you know, my, my mother at the time said, you know what, why don't you try law school, right? You know, just, just take the LSAT, right? If you take the LSAT, you know, you don't have to go to law school, but see how you do. Right. So I said, OK, I don't have anything, you know, no other real tangible options at the time. I took the LSAT, you know, applied to some colleges, got in, got a scholarship to a college, uh, a law school here in Atlanta, Georgia called John Marshall 
uh, Atlanta's John Marshall Law School. Um, and, you know, it really chose me, man. So at the very beginning, even before I started, somehow I came across uh, this concept of entertainment law. Before that, I had no idea what an entertainment lawyer was. I didn't know there, there were people who even specialized in that field. Uh, as soon as I found that out, I said, that's exactly what I want to do. I also found out about corporate law, corporate attorneys. Um, and I said, that's exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so by the time I even started law school, I had already kind of envisioned and created, you know, this roadmap for myself. I knew that I wanted to do business transactions. I wanted to work with corporations and I wanted to work with athletes and entertainers and also help them become businesses and corporations themselves. So for me, it was very clear. And I really over-indexed on it. You know, in law school, what I encourage law students now I always encourage them to take time to enjoy the full experience, right? Do the different activities, join the different groups because it makes you more well-rounded and it does open you up to more connections. But me, I just hyper-focused on those things, corporate law, transactions, and, and entertainment law. That's it. Cause I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to do family law. I didn't want to do criminal defense. I didn't want to go to court and litigate. I didn't want to do personal injury. I just, I just wanted to do transactions. That was it, you know? Um, so once I got into law school, I, had, I already had everything set. But the process to getting into law school, yeah, it, it really found me, man. It really chose me. And I, I really just, you know, I say I stumbled into it, but, you know, it's all, you know, divine timing and, and, and order and, and things like that. So that's how it happened. Well, I'm glad you chose it because it allows us to ha- have a very interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. Something else that pops in my mind is, why was transactions calling your name? What was it about business transactions that caught your attention? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know, man. You know, one thing is I'm Nigerian. And so I, I'm also, my, my father is Yoruba and my mother is half Yoruba and half Igbo. And they always say that, you know, Igbos are the ones who are good with money, Right. <laughs> they're the they're the traders, you know, they're the businessmen. So maybe that was in my blood. I don't know. But, you know, it was just something about it um, that I said, look, this is exactly what I wanted to do uh, from a just kind of a reasoning perspective. You know, I the more I learned about the practice of law, I looked at different sides. And if you look at the litigation side, really 90 around 95 to 99 percent of lawsuits actually settle out of court. Right. They don't go through the whole process. In addition to that, there's a lot of, um, there's just a lot of process, a lot of filings, a lot of things that in my perspective are kind of tedious, right? And so the, just the way that I think, and again, some people love it, right? They love being litigators, arguing, you know, filling out those briefs and all that and to each his own. But to me, I always thought, why would I spend all this time, you know, putting together these briefs, these lawsuits, just for this thing to go nowhere, right? Um, in addition to that, I said, look, I don't want to defend people in court. I want to keep them from actually getting to court. Right? To me, the whole process is backwards. Right? I, it's it's not it's not productive in my opinion. I want to keep you know, especially young men, out of court. Right? I want to keep business owners out of court. I want to I want to help you actually achieve your goals. Right? Nobody wants to go to court. Right? You want to you know fulfill your purpose. You want to make money. So that's what I wanted to do um, and help people do. So I always looked at transactions and being a transactional and a corporate attorney as me actually helping people to actually fulfill their purpose, to actually, you know, um, run their businesses and make money. That was just the most streamlined way in my, in my mind that I could actually help people and myself accomplish that. No, I'm glad. Once again, I'm glad you chose this path because it's going to lend very well uh, to our audience who's listening today, who's, who may be seeking uh, additional knowledge and additional Mm -hmm. wisdom or additional Mm -hmm. counsel uh, in this area. Um, you mentioned the entertainment uh, portion and wanting to work with athletes and entertainers. If you don't mind me asking, around what year was this when you were going through school? Because I'm just trying to get the context of mm-hmm. where uh, athletes and entertainers were at that time, uh, yeah. just on a societal lens. Yeah. So around this time, it was 2000 when I was going into school. It was 2013. That's when I first okay. that was my first year of law school. Okay, so I I think that's perfect because even even that deep into the 2000s, I still don't know if athletes and entertainers had really caught on to the overall game that was being played. I don't think they really started catching on until a couple years ago and still (laughs) still haven't. Exactly. I I would say they really caught on around 
2000 and maybe 17, right? Okay. 2017, I would say that's when it really started. I, I can remember being in law school um, and I think 2015 to 2016, that's when we first started hearing about Rich Paul, right? LeBron's, LeBron's agent. That's when he's, and he's been doing it for over probably around 20 years maybe, right? Mm-hmm. But that's when he first started coming into the mainstream. And right. I think that he was one of the ones, and you have people like, um, you have people like uh, Andre Iguodala um, and his, his business partner and his investor, uh, I'm mad, I can't remember his name, Rudy, Rudy Klein, right? You have people like that um, in addition to Rich Paul. But I think Rich Paul and some others were really the ones who really kind of brought this whole idea and concept of athlete empowerment um, around 2017, definitely 2018. I remember... 2014, um, I would say, I actually had an interview with a sports agency. At the time, I was uh, I was working at an entertainment law firm, and I left because I got this interview. And for me, that's that's very hard to do. You know, anybody who's in the sports field or wants to be a sports agent, you know how hard it is to get an interview with a sports agency. But I came up with a marketing plan for the agency uh, with one of their clients, and so I got the interview. And you know, we went through the process. And one of the questions that they asked me, they said it was you know they do these mock questions. They said, look, if, if an athlete comes to you and they want you to help them book a, a vacation, right, for themselves and their, and their wife or their girlfriend, what will you do? And I told them, I said, I would tell them to book the ticket, <laughs> you know? Right. I said, I will, I'll tell them to, you know, book the vacation, you know, like, come on. And that was the wrong answer for them, right? Because they wanted me to say, okay, I would, you know, book the flight, I would plan the trip, book the hotel, you know, book restaurants, you know, do everything for them. And mm-hmm. I said, look, this is backwards. And, and I asked him, I said, look, if you got, and what I said was, I asked him, I said, don't you guys think that if you do everything for these guys, right? Don't you think that by the time they stop playing, the average career is three to five years, by the way. But if you're doing everything for these guys, so by the time they stop playing, don't you think that they're not going to be able to do anything? They're going to be handicapped. When they enter the real world, if they weren't, an all-star, if they weren't Derek Jeter, LeBron James, um, you know, the Kambay Matumbo, all these different guys, if, if they weren't at the very top, nobody's going to care about them. Nobody's going to treat them like they're being treated now. And they told me flat out, they said, yes, this is something that we think about, but we got to get paid. <laughs> you know what I'm right. saying? And needless, right. to, needless to say, I didn't get the job because, you know, what they told me was I wasn't a quote-unquote correct fit. I wasn't the right fit, Right. So that just goes to show and that same agency now, you know, now they've hired, you know, the black guy to work at the agency, to reach out to the athlete, to be the the athlete empowerment guy. Right. But that goes to show like back then people weren't thinking like that. Right. Because, look, we can sell these guys a dream. We can we can babysit them. We can coddle them. Let's get our money now. And then when they're done, they're done. We're not. It doesn't matter. We're on to the next. Right. Um, So, yeah, man, around that time, it wasn't really at the forefront. Of course, you had attorneys you know, who had written, uh, you know, books about it. Um, there's a book called uh, The Revolt of the Black Athlete. Um, so you definitely had, you know, academics and professionals who had talked about these issues. But in terms of, you know, it being a part of the mainstream conversation, definitely not. Well, let's let's have this mainstream conversation real quick. Because mm-hmm. when I say athletes may not have got it yet, what I'm referring to may be different from what you're referring to. And we'll see. Yeah. For, for me... It was the idea of similar to uh, Jay Z uh, way of thinking of you are a business, yeah, right. Yeah. And I don't know if a lot of athletes were seeing that, especially when you've been programmed in the NCAA yeah. uh, to not see yourself as a business and not make any money off of right. your likeness. So by the right. time you hit professional, you you still have that brainwashing in your mind. Um, right. when I say that they started catching on around that time, is that the same thing that you're noticing or was it something even deeper than what I'm seeing? Um, no, it's the same thing, man. It's the same thing. So specific to athletes. Sure. Yeah. I, I think, I think they didn't catch on, you know, around that time. I think the same thing applies. I think, you know, guys like Rich Paul kind of woke these guys up, um, guys like LeBron, the different businesses that he has that yeah. woke guys up. You see Kevin Durant. Now you see Steph Curry. You see these guys actually being very intentional about, um, well, some of them, right? <laughs> some of them. So, you know, it, they hadn't caught on and many of them still haven't. But I, I think a big part of it too, man, is just the process, right? It, it's 
Like you can't even, honestly, we can't even, everybody, you know, is responsible for themselves. Everybody has to be accountable for their own decisions, you know, but if you look at the way that these guys come through, it starts in, in middle school, in high school, right? These guys are, are coddled. They're not encouraged to actually invest in themselves, to invest in their minds. They're not encouraged to actually think for themselves. They're not encouraged to take school seriously. Um, everything is done for them. They're kept in a kind of bubble, right? People look at them as investments, right? People, they're not taught to be businesses, but yet people look at them as investments, right? People will, you know, do all these different things for them from high school to college. Then they get in the league. They haven't had a real world experience. They haven't learned about school. They haven't gone through, you know, different, just different trials that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs go through. They don't have a conception of what it means to be a business. So a lot of times, you know, we'll say, okay, it's a business, it's a business, but they don't really understand what that means. Um, you know, and, and the most successful guys actually that I see, it's not just them. They have guys who understand that around them. It may be, you know, a guy like Rich Paul, maybe a guy like Rudy Klein. It may be, you know, a friend who is, who went to law school, who went to business school, you know, who was an accountant, whatever, who understands the landscape, who understands the system and can kind of help them navigate. But for a lot of these athletes, you know, it's, you can say I'm a business, but what does that mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, like, right. Okay, you're a business, so what are you going to do? You're going to start a record label? You know, like, right. you, what are you, you going to start, you know, a clothing line? You know, so you say it's a business, but they don't have any misconception, they don't have any conception about what that means outside of, you know, what they may have seen in a rap video, what they may see here. And that's no, that's no shot, but it's just, you know, they don't have that in-depth knowledge. So, but there are a lot, let me just say, there are a lot of athletes who go back to school or who, who actually took school seriously. Um, but yeah, I just think we have to be careful, you know, because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's actually very sad, man, because, you know, you look at the statistics, you're getting guys coming in every year, but the average career is only lasting three to five years after you pay your accountant, after you pay your agent, after you pay your lawyer, after you buy that house for your mom, you buy your, yourself a car, you buy some nice chains, you hook your friends up, you know, most of these guys, they really don't have much when they retire. Yeah, I mean, or when they, you know, when they're forced to retire, you know what I'm saying? Like, not everybody's is getting that 20 million a year uh, salary, that 10 million a year salary. It's, it's not like that for most of these guys. You know, when you, as you're saying that, I'm looking at the uh, the entertainer side. Of, oh, man, that's, that's even it, worse. Right? I'm thinking about, you know, Tupac uh, reportedly dying with $150,000 around that mark in the bank account. I'm thinking of uh, mm. musicians, uh, you know, going bankrupt or their estate, not necessarily reaching their heirs. And then on the other side, you're looking at Jay-Z just closing uh, a, a, a major deal. Yeah. Uh, and who knows how much that, that was worth. But yeah. so there are successes and there are failures. Yeah. How much does uh, the advice you're giving to athletes correlate uh, to musicians and others uh, in other areas of entertainment? It's the same. It's the same thing across the board. Um, you know, if you look at sports, I think the statistic is, and I, I wrote two books about this from the time I was in law school. <clears throat> I wrote two books because what I found out, because, you know, I was that guy. I was never the superstar athlete. I was never the superstar rapper who had, you know, I like to think I'm okay when it comes to rap, but I was never like Kendrick Lamar, you know, right, but right. I was, I was, you know, I'm, you, you come up in America, young, black, you, you know, no real father figure you know, you get caught up in that whole, you know, the whole sociology. So I was that. So when I got to law school, I, it was incredibly, even I can say devastating how much information I found out in law school that I realized the average person who looks like me doesn't know. I was writing a paper for a, um, I took a class. It was a small business seminar class. Um, and we could write on any topic, like 50 page paper. I chose to write on the business of sports and entertainment. Um, and so in the process of writing that, I realized, I said, I asked myself, I said, why would I just write this paper, give it to this guy? You know, it doesn't matter his race, but why would I give it to this guy who probably doesn't really care that much about this topic? And then I leave the class and that's, it's it. I, right. All that time and energy that I spent on that paper goes to nothing. I said, no, let me actually turn this thing into a book. And so that I can give to people who will actually appreciate and need it. Right. And right, so that's what right. I, that's what I did. And what I learned is it's the same thing, whether we're talking about sports, whether we're talking about entertainment, you know, I think the statistics are probably around anywhere between one to 3% of high school athletes will actually go uh, and play division one 
or the or NC in the NCAA, right? Um, even a smaller percentage than that will get to the NBA, right? When you look at entertainment, music industry, even film, TV, it's the same thing. Most of these guys and girls are not going to become, or not even going to have a sustainable career. Um, there was a st- uh, there was a statistic that Rolling Stone published last year, um, and basically what they said was ninety uh, percent of music industry revenues are generated by 10% of artists. 99%, um, um, no, 10, 10, 90% is generated by 10%. Um, and then, you know, 99% is generated by 1%. So the very, the very, um, there's the minority of artists are making all the money. And most of the artists that are making the money are, you know, signed to the major labels. Um, but I say all that to say most artists are not going to have a career that lasts over three to five years. Uh, most are not going to actually be able to make a living from their 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 music. That's just the facts when you look at the statistics. Uh, I think it just came out yesterday that Spotify, about 50,000 tracks are uploaded to Spotify every single day. So wow. it, so it's just, you know, it's, 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 it's crazy. So the odds are not in favor of the average athlete or entertainer. The people who are actually making the most money from sports and entertainment are the corporations, right? The the teams, the leagues, the labels, the music companies, um, the you know the IP rights companies. That's that's who's making the money. So the advice, you know, just to cut it short, and, and to your question, the advice is the same. Like if you can make it, that's great. You know, pursue your dream. But you have to understand that it's a business. You talked about Jay Z. I think one of the things that Jay Z does is, um, or that that has worked for him is that he has an understanding of the system, right? But in addition to that, he has smart people around him and he's figured out a way to, he's figured out a way to marry his, um, his personality, right? His perspective with business um, in, in a way that, in a way that makes him money, um, in a way that, that, uh, that, you know, really profits uh, for him, but he has smart people around him and I, and LeBron, they have smart people around them. I, I think that's what, and they have people who actually care about them. And I think that's what kind of goes unnoticed a lot of times. Um, you know, people can see, okay, this athlete, this artist is making money, but they don't really understand the amount of business that goes behind it. You look at, um, and I'll, I'll cut it short, but you look at uh, Rockefeller when they first started, 50% of Rockefeller was owned by a major record label. <laughs> you right. know what I'm saying? So, you know, we, we preach independence. I believe in independence as well, you know, but sometimes you have to kind of understand what that comes with and, you know, what the trade-offs are for different, uh, um, you know, scenarios. But yeah, man, the advice is no different. It's the same for an athlete, for a rapper, a singer. It's the same thing. You, you mentioned when you first got into uh, studying law, understanding the legal side, your eyes start opening up to some of the things that people are missing. What are people, what are, what does the average business person not understand about the legal side that you can share with us today that they may not be aware of? Um, what the average person does not understand about the legal side. I would say for me, I think the main thing is that the legal side can actually be used to help you make more money, simply put. Um, and that's the way that I look at it. I like to look at myself as not just a legal advisor, but also a business advisor. When we talk about contracts, you know, and they're different, specific to business, right? There are different legal aspects uh, when it comes to your business. We might be dealing with something as basic as incorporating your company, setting up your entity. Uh, we might be dealing with something related to IP, intellectual property, whether you have, um, whether you have trade secrets, whether you have trademarks or copyrights or even patents um, that can protect your products and your services, especially when it comes to uh, branding in the marketplace and creating awareness. Um, but for me, I would say the main thing is let's, let's say contracts. These contracts and these legal terms can actually be used uh, to help you make money. Um, you know, wh- what is an example? Um, you know, let's say, let's say that um, let's say I, I, I own a business and I create, uh, let's say I create some kind of product. Let's say I want to enter into some type of distribution agreement with uh, a company to help me to help get my product out to the mass marketplace. Okay. Well, we can, there's different ways that we can do it, right? The average person might just say, look, okay, I'm going to find a distributor. I'm going to give that dis- distributor the right to, you know, distribute my products 
to anybody who wants to buy these products. Okay, that's fine. But there are different ways that you could divvy that up, right? Let's say, you know, one distributor is actually um, has a presence in a particular market. You could give them exclusive rights to just that market, right? Um, you could get another distributor who has a presence in a different market. You could give them rights to just that market, so on and so forth. Um, you know, some distributors may want, you know, a percentage, right? Because their argument is that, okay, look, we're going to actually get you customers. We're going to increase your revenue. So we want a percentage of either your business or, you know, the products that we bring in, uh, depending on your position as a business, depending on, you know, the options that you have with different distributors, um, you know, in different regions, you could say, no, we're just going to give you a flat fee, or we're going to give you a percentage for this particular region. So, you know, not to get into the weeds, but I just say all that to say, like the legal terms are not just arbitrary. And I think that's what a lot of people think when it comes to contracts, because again, that's just my wheelhouse. A lot of people think contracts are arbitrary. They think they're just words on a piece of paper. They think that they can draft the contract themselves and they don't realize that these things matter. They may not matter, you know, when you're just starting and you might not be making a lot of money, but once things start increasing, that's when those terms come back to bite you in the ass. Uh, excuse my French, you know, and that's what we see with sports and entertainment as well, right? You know, a lot of these people get into these deals and it's all good as, as long as, it's all good when they're first starting out. It's all good when nobody knows them. It's all good when they still have a dream and, you know, they have yeah, the stars in their eyes. But once they start making money or once things start going left and they can't make certain moves, that's when it starts clicking in their minds, oh, so that contract really was important. So for me, that's the biggest thing that I would say to cut it short that um, an attorney um, and, and, and the law can actually be used to help you, right? Sometimes obviously it works against us, but we can actually use it to help us. Um, another example, so I mentioned I work um, at a FinTech company. Um, and, and so one of the things that the company that I work with, one of the things that they do is they help uh, financial services um, financial services companies, banks, um, robo-advisors, uh, you know, uh, prepaid companies, insurance companies, so on and so forth. They help these companies actually comply with regulations uh, because now there are a lot of, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of, uh, what, what should I say? There are a lot of things to be wary of when it comes to, um, you know, this digital space, right? Um, especially with, in terms of financial services companies, you got to be worried about money laundering, um, you have to be worried about fraud, um, you know, identity fraud and, and all these things. So, you know, the government has actually created different regulations um, that will apply to companies anytime they want to um, onboard somebody. You know, let's say you sign up with a digital bank. You got to give them your identity. So now the law says, look, there's certain things that these companies have to do in order to make sure that this person that's signing up with them is not a terrorist, is not trying to launder money. Right. You can't prevent it. But we want to put certain safeguards to make sure um, that, you know, we kind of prevent that. Um, you have to know who your customer is. You have to ask for certain uh, information. You have to you kind of do your due diligence to make sure that this person isn't uh, perpetrating fraud. So where this fintech company that I work with, where they come in is they provide technology that will actually assist companies in identifying um, who that customer is, who that person is, and, and help them comply with regulations. But that is that's exactly using the law to make money, right? Because these businesses, they have, and this is the other side of it, but these businesses, they have to comply with these regulations. They, they don't have a choice, right? And so this company, they provide technology that will assist banks, robo-advisors, insurance companies, et cetera, with complying with um, those laws and regulations, and they make money out of it. You know, so all in all, I would say that that's the biggest thing that we miss. Like the law can actually be used. You know, we talk about the system a lot and how it works against us, but it can actually be used in our favor uh, if we actually know how to wield it. I appreciate you uh, giving that explanation because a lot of people fear it. And because they fear it and they don't understand it, they don't use it yeah. to their benefit. Yeah. And so uh, they end up limiting themselves. Yeah. Because they don't have proper counsel around them. Right. Um, from your journey into different sectors, what has been the major difference uh, between technology? And I know we were talking earlier about uh, sports entertainment. How is technology yeah. different? I know you were talking about the fintech company, and that's a great yeah. example. Are there other ways that uh, the technology sector is a little bit different? 
Yeah, so I, I, just real quick, I would touch on one thing you said about people fearing it. I think that's sure. very that's very real, especially for us um, as Black people. You know, we there's that kind of innate distrust, uh, and you know, maybe we want to say even paranoia. And a lot yeah. of it, it, a lot of it is legitimate. A lot of it is for good reason. Um, I don't want to go as far to be insensitive and to say we need to get over it, but we need to kind of accept it, accept what has happened, and now, you know, use it in our favor, because that's the only way we progress. For me, I kind of lost that fear, because, you know, I was actually born in Nigeria, um, and we emigrated here. Um, and maybe we'll get into details, you know, in, in another episode, but a lot of things happened that actually caused my status to be, uh, caused me to be out of status. So I was actually an illegal immigrant for most of my life, you know, and um, and from the ages of 17 to 25, which is, you know, working ages, I couldn't work. You know, I couldn't work. I couldn't I couldn't make any money. And now me being 32, I look back, and, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of literature coming out about how, you, you know, your network, your, your personal network, your professional network, your company, the people you meet in the company, how how that directly affects and, and helps you um, kind of grow and, you know, increase wealth and, and your money, your finances, things like that. There's a lot of literature coming out about how, you know, the, I think they're calling us non-citizens now, but how the uh, being undocumented, how that affects you mentally. So I look back and I see 17 to 25 and I see, man, I really missed out on, on a lot, right? I really missed out on a lot. I was really held back in a lot of ways, um, you know, and, and, you know, Obama came and, and, and implemented some things that helped me to be able to get into the workforce and to be able to make a, a living legally. And so from 25 to 32, I really look at that. Those are my catching up years, right? Those are my catching up years, really making up for that period in time where I was really kept out of the system and not able to actually compete, right? Um, you know, but one thing that I found out through that journey is, and one thing, you know, that I would also always say to encourage people is that, you know, for me, one thing that I learned is that even though there were a lot of things that I could not do during that time, there was a lot that I could do you know, that I could have done, right? It was, it was a, I went through a, a bit of depression because it's, it's very tough when you feel like, man, you're locked out, <laughs> right? right? And not, not right. even, not even in a metaphorical sense, like literally locked out. Like you literally can't participate. You're around people, right? You're around the same people, but you can't participate in the system, right? But I learned that there's a lot that I, I could have done to at least prepare myself to learn, right? To invest in myself so that Whenever that opportunity came, whenever it was, you know, 14, seven years later, I could be in a better position, right? So I used, you know, the, 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 the second half, you know, of that time, of that 14-year period to really catch up um, and to really learn, okay, what can I do? And, and being forced to really go that hard opened my eyes to so many things. Um, take, you, you talked about technology. Um, to me, man, I, I look at technology as, you know, technology, it's a constant, you know, I know we talk about it in terms of innovation and, and, you know, newness, but it's a constant, you know, since, you know, uh, Henry Ford, right. Um, and his car since, you know, the, um, the printing press, you know, it's technology is just where human beings are always going to create, take, come up with technology to improve the way we do things, uh, to improve products, to improve services, to make our lives better. I don't see any different from, you know, basketball or, you know, rap, right? It's just that oftentimes we're not the ones who are actually creating that technology, owning that technology. Um, that's the problem. Um, but I, I see it the same. I see the, the field, the industry. I mean, we know the statistics, you know, as, as Black people, we're definitely underrepresented. Um, I, there, was a, there was something I actually posted on my Instagram that, that said, you know, Black people make up I think it's 13% of the, the uh, entry-level jobs. Uh, but once you take that next step towards management level, it drops to 7%. Um, I think the, the, uh, the second, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the second Black female um, CEO of a Fortune 500 company was just hired yesterday uh, to TIAA, right? So we know the statistics, you know, in, in technology, it's, it's no different. It's probably worse. Um, but I look at it the same. I look, it's a business. I look at technology as a business. It's a service. It's a product. Um, 
And, you know, I, I don't really differentiate. I, my thing is we just have, we got to take technology seriously, honestly. Um, there was another article that Fortune actually published that actually spoke to the fact that Black men will actually be the most disadvantaged by the developments in technology, robotics, and automation. Um, because oftentimes we're the ones who are doing the most menial jobs, right? Maybe you want to take out, maybe you want to give consideration to like, you know, um, undoc- undocumented immigrants um, and, and Hispanics and things like that. But, you know, they pretty much said that it would be black men. Um, so it's something that we have to take seriously because it's a constant, especially in this day and age. But depending on how I look at it, I look at it the same as any other industry or any other field. Now, I know, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you're an advocate for us as Black people owning uh, in that space and really all spaces. Yeah. How do we how do we get over um, those statistics and put ourselves in the driver's seat and have ownership in these particular sectors? Um, you know, I'm going to keep it simple for me. I can only give my perspective. Number one, for me, I would say, God, you know, I, I'm not going to, you know, use this platform to tell anybody specifically what to believe. But for me, that's number one what it was. God, right. honestly, honestly, because 2011, uh, yeah, 2011, that's when I actually, 2011 or 2012, that's when I actually received the right to be able to work. And it's, to me, it's, it doesn't make any sense. You know, I, I went from literally, you know, not having anything to making six figures. You know, number one, it starts with God for me. Um, outside of that, I think you ha- we have to figure out who we are as a person, um, as people. One thing that helped me, another thing that helped me was understanding who I am as a person and who my people are. Um, I always talk about my quote unquote HBCU experience. I didn't go to an HBCU. I went to Valdosta State um, University and people who have been to Valdosta or the South, like that's self-explanatory. Um, so for me, I never really, I didn't have that history lesson. Um, I moved back to Atlanta in 2012. I worked at the, um, the Apex Museum. Uh, the African, it's called the African-American Panoramic Experience Museum. It's on Auburn Avenue in Atlanta, Georgia, just down the street from Georgia State. Uh, I worked there. I also worked at um, the Martin Luther King Center. Um, those two experiences really just opened my eyes and gave me such a pride um, in, in Black people, who we are as, as a people, what we've accomplished um, in the past. Our history does not start with slavery um, and, and what we have even accomplished post-slavery, um, you know, they, 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 the museum talks about the indomitable spirit of Black people. The mm. indomitable, yeah, the indomitable spirit, meaning it can't be dominated, it can't be defeated, it can't be stopped. That gave me such a pride and confidence, you know, like, okay, we got it, I can do it, you know. So it, it's number, number two, it, for me, that's where it started. Um, number three, you got to pick your lane, man. You, you got to play your game. You can't, you know, who are you? Like, what talents do you have? You know, I think... Um, I think, um, you know, who, who spoke about this? Uh, Booker T. Washington, you know, there was a, there was a big uh, debate and quote-unquote beef between him and W.E. The Boys. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Booker T. Washington really advocated for the fact that, you know, Black people, yeah, we need all of these rights, but we have to learn how to, to do for ourselves right now, right? Like, what does your neighbor need, right? Create those services, create those products. Yeah, that's cool. We want to be, you know, the... the uh, uh, what did W W E B the boys say? Uh, the 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 temp was it the ten percent or we want to be elite, right? We want to be elite. Right. That's cool, but we got to take care of ourselves now. So for me, that's what I would say as well. Like, what can you do? What are your talents, right? If it's basketball, if you're six eight, two fifty, can run a four four like LeBron, then shoot, go to the league. <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? Right. But if you you know if if you're not, that might not be it for you, right? If if you're if you're you know if you have a passion for science, you know, go to medical school or become a scientist. But what, who are you? Like, what talents do you have? Right. And, and then double down on it. Become skilled. So that, that's the last thing I would say to cut it short. Become skilled at something, at, at one thing. We want to create wealth. But you got to what, What's that one thing that you can do? Right. Better than anybody else or just that 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 you can do the best. You got to find that. And that's how that's that's your key to getting wealth. And that's how I always looked at law school. I didn't, I didn't go to law school to become the best attorney, to become, I didn't go to law school to become, you know, the most esteemed 
legal mind. I, I went to law school because I said, this is my way into the system. This is my way to actually create wealth for myself and for my family. I can be, I, 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 would like, I wanna be the best attorney that I can be, but I'm not, I don't care about being in law reviews and being in law books and arguing legal theories. I don't care about that. For me, it's a way to create wealth for myself and my family. And I knew that law school was it for me. The same way that LeBron looks at basketball as being his key to create all these other businesses and enterprises, that's exactly how I looked at law school. Um, so man, yeah, man, so, so for me, I think for me personally, it was God, right? Number two, understanding that history, taking pride in who you are as a person, what your people have done, getting that confidence that you can do it. Um, and then number three, developing a skill, a trade, like being good at something and one thing, stop chasing all these different ideas and these different hustles. And, you know, we all got to hustle. You can do it, whatever you want, but find one thing, find your lane, right. And, and really grow and become the best at it that you can be. Um, and, you know, and coming out of law school, that's, that's what I did. I focus on transactions. Um, I focus on being good at contracts, being good at IP, you know, and, and doors just kept opening for me, right? I worked at uh, McKesson, right? Which at the time was the fortune, the number six, com- uh, number six on the fortune 500 list. Uh, I worked at a te- another technology company here in Atlanta, uh, Presidio, which uh, was a public company. I think they had a market cap of around 4 billion uh, and they were taking private. Um, I worked at AT&T, now I'm working at a FinTech company and all while, you know, uh, running this firm with my mother. Um, and through that process, I just, kept learning. I kept learning about businesses and I kept learning about, okay, I'm working in all these companies and I'm doing their contracts, but these companies have investors. These companies have shareholders. These companies are being taken private and public and back and forth. It's, it's all what I, and I just started seeing that it's all investment. It's all, it's all money. It's all venture capital. At the end of the day, you got to have your systems. You got to have your attorney, your manager, you know, your manager, your executives, your marketing team, your sales teams, right? You got to have legal, all that. But at the end of the day, it's money that's bankrolling all, all these things. Um, and then to cut it short, um, you know, I, I read a book called Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? Uh, yeah. by Re- um, autobiography, I think autobiography slash biography, uh, Reginald Lewis. Um, and, and that helped as well to kind of open my eyes, you know, to how the system actually operates. And the guy was an attorney, but he said, look, I don't want to just be an attorney. You know, I don't want to just do contracts for these businesses. I want to own these businesses too, you know? Right. And so for me, that's part of, you know, history. Like you can't, we can't know where we're going if we don't know uh, where we've been. So yeah, man, that's it for me. Well, before we let people know how they can work with you and collaborate with you, I think we stumbled on uh, a, a really great gem. You mm. said you looked around, you looked at all these contracts and you noticed that all this is investments. Yep. What do you mean by that statement for those who may have, heard the statement but didn't really catch the essence of it what did you notice that would lead you to make that that claim um it that's a tough for me to answer specific i think it came from me doing the work number one that insight came from me doing the work it wasn't something that i saw on the outside it wasn't something that i saw in my first year um, it, it came from me kind of being in the trenches, working on these contracts. Um, and then it, it just led me to start asking questions. Okay. What, what is this contract? Right. What is this contract? Um, I started taking steps back. I started looking at, okay, how does this company actually run? What, what is this company? Right. And, and I just started noticing different themes and similarities and seeing that all companies at the, they might have different products and services, but at the end of the day, they're meeting a need and they're creating something that's valuable for their customer uh, or their customers. And they create systems around this to help you know scale this business and help this business continue to run efficiently and profitably. And it's a very hard thing, right? It, I started saying that it doesn't happen overnight. McKesson was started by, um, by a doctor in, in the 1900s, right? Um, and, and it grew to where it is now. Right. That's not it's not an overnight thing. So let's take that out of the picture. But I started seeing that at the end of the day, there are certain there are certain constants in every business um, and what matters in every business. The lifeblood of every business is going to be your cash flow. How much money are you making? And that's directly tied to do people want your product or do people know about your product and your ability to um, get the word out about your price and your service to them. Right. 
Um, and I started seeing that, you know, businesses in themselves are actually on another level, we can start seeing that businesses in themselves are actually products too, right? Mm. And, and on top of all this, and that goes to the system. Like some people, see for me, I, 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 a lot of this, I had to learn out of necessity because I always say I wasn't, I was kept out of the system. I didn't right. have the luxury to just, you know, to just, uh, you know, go about my days, you know, skipping and being oblivious. Like things were very real for me. I had to actually learn from the, from the ground. When I say the ground up, I really mean the ground up. Like, I really mean like I was a, I had a master's degree and I was working an unpaid internship. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, right, I didn't, right. like it was very, it was very real. So I had to really learn how does this work? You know, you know, dealing with, um, you know, the, and let me just digress for a minute, dealing with the museum and the Martin Luther King Center. I learned very honestly, look, a lot of the things that they wanted to do, they couldn't do because they weren't getting any money. The Apex Museum, they've been trying to raise $40 million for over 10 years, right? The King Center, they wanted to digitize. The King Center has the largest repository of civil rights documents. Like they have, I read, I read letters from Dr. King to, um, to, 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 different, to different leaders. Um, they have Gandhi slippers. They have so much, but they couldn't digitize the documents that they had. Right. They've been trying to get that done. They can't they couldn't digitize. They they couldn't raise the money to actually get it done to where you can get on your computer and read, actually read Martin Luther King's letters because they didn't have the money. So I learned very quickly, like it's really money that's, that's running a lot of these things and there's different levels. And so back to the point about businesses, you know, the way that these businesses are funded, the way they're capitalized, the way they're kept afloat um, is is it's through finance through investment through venture you know these vcs private equities leveraged buyouts and it and and, and i'm still on my journey learning no, by no means have i arrived but this is just a part of me continually asking questions like where you know what is where does this come from what is the purpose of this how does this thing run and you just start seeing the different levels you just start seeing you know things like companies being taken private and public back and forth you know companies being assigned I, and, and it gets very it gets very technical and it gets very crazy um so but that that's what i that's what i mean um when i say that you have to understand that every business at the end of the day you have a product right you have a product you have a service that's that's the main thing of business that's the purpose of business to create value for other customers okay and that's one level you can run a business and you can do well for yourself for your family and you can pass it on but now on another level when you have more money now it's not just about you know, one business on another level. Now it's about, okay, we can actually buy multiple businesses. We can invest in multiple businesses on another level. It's okay. We can actually have different funds that, <laughs> that invest and buy different business. And so it's just, it's, it's levels. And, and, and so that's what I mean. That's a perfect answer. And I know the right people are going to hear what you just said. And they're going to pick up on the wisdom inside of it. Uh, how do people, so. especially business owners who are listening to this episode, how do they collaborate with you? What is the process of working with you uh, and your law firm? Yeah, um, definitely, definitely open to working with, um, you know, with anyone interested. Um, very simple. You can reach out to me or my firm. My email is Elijah at IennyLaw.com. IennyLaw is A-Y-E-N-I-L-A-W.com. Uh, first name is Elijah. You can also reach out uh, to me via my website, uh, iennylaw.com. Also, uh, I'm on Instagram, Elijah Adafope, E-L-I-J-A-H-A-D-E-F-O-P-E. Um, again, as I mentioned, uh, through my firm, uh, we not only support uh, entertainers and athletes, uh, we also support small business owners in various industries. Uh, we assist you with transactions, your contracts. Um, your IP registrations, copyrights, trademarks, um, you know, also um, have begun to get into the, uh, uh, you know, dealing with uh, software companies. Uh, we also draft SaaS agreements, licensing agreements. Um, we assist you with SLAs. Uh, we also provide immigration services as well. Um, you know, just obviously me being Nigerian uh, and my family as well. That's, that's something that we often assist uh, clients with. Yeah, so it's, it's very easy to get in contact with me. Shoot me an email. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm definitely open. You know, for me, at the end of the day, it comes. I always, as an attorney, my purpose is to help people in their purpose, um, specifically as it relates to their business. Because I think that you can actually, 
you can actually fulfill purpose and make money at the same time. And I think, you know, for me, I think that's actually when you become the most valuable. Um, you know, Henry Ford said that any business that is started just for the sole purpose of making money is a poor business. You know, um, I think when you actually set out to help people and change people's lives, uh, you actually most times make more money. And for me, that's, that's been the case for me. I don't see why it would be different from for anyone else. So, um, yeah, man, definitely, definitely open. You know, feel free to reach out to me. I appreciate you stopping by Black Equity. To me, this is a very fruitful uh, conversation. There's a lot of hidden nuggets uh, that are sprinkled uh, mm-hmm. through this conversation. So I encourage people to play it back mm-hmm. and really listen uh, to the gems that are in here. Uh, any final thoughts uh, for anyone in business uh, who has not seeked wise counsel yet and uh, let them know why they should be seeking wise counsel. Yeah, um, you know, firstly, thank you for having me, man. Um, I definitely appreciate the platform, the time. Definitely love, you know, the mission um, of Black Equity. Um, everything that you're doing, um, that your organization is doing, is, is much needed. We need it, you know, as much progress um, as we've made as people. We've got a long, long way to go. Um, Last thoughts, I would just say, number one, understand the system. You have to understand the system. That's it. And whatever field you are, whatever industry, you just have to understand the system because that's that's what's going to help you either be an owner or be owned. Mm. Because the people who own, they understand the system. You know, the game is not... The game is not a level playing field, right? The game is not fair. The game is definitely rigged, but, you know, you're either going to be on the sidelines and get in the game and get on the field, you know? And, and the best way to do that is to understand the system and, and to to build brick by brick, you know, take things day by day, um, you know, and, and again, like I said, that's, for me, that's the underlying mission for me as an attorney. So I always help, you know, my clients um, get in the game and make sure that things are organized. Um, you know, and, and that they can actually progress uh, and scale uh, whatever it is that they're doing. Yeah, but Elijah. I appreciate the time, DJ. Yeah, no, I appreciate you as well. Thank you for stopping through Black Equity. You have an open door to come back anytime if there's any new initiatives or okay. any other topics you want to talk about. Maybe something big happens in your mm-hmm. sector. You want to get it off your chest. Uh, this is an open platform to do it. Of course, we might bump into each other on Clubhouse and talk yes, there too. Uh, but yes the the doors are open for you to come back i'll take you up on that man thank you i'll talk to you soon yes sir Mm -hmm.